You know, in all of theater, there has never been a line spoken as popular as to be or not to be. That is the question. That was the question that was posed in William Shakespeare's famous play. You know, I love theater. Believe it or not, I enjoy going to plays. Um, this past weekend, we actually went and watched um, one of our students that is in um, um, Beauty and the Beast over in Plano and just really enjoy watching theater, especially if I know somebody that's in the play. But one of the things I love most about theater is watching the actors and the actresses transform into their characters. And many times in order to get into their characters, they have to wear a mask. I mean, think about some of the most famous masks that we have, that, that probably all of us, as we think about mask wearing people, we think of those such as the Lone Ranger. I mean, that's a great mask right there. There is Zorro. Um, man, you just can't get better than Zorro. And then there are some of the um, superhero masks. We have Batman and Spider-Man. There is Captain America and Iron Man. And then probably one of the most famous one in, in modern day theater would be the Phantom of the Opera mask. The list goes on and on. But you know what a mask does? It allows a person to transform into a character. I mean, think about the mask, the physical mask that you've probably worn in your life. Um, maybe going to a fall festival or Halloween or New Year's or just a party that you may have gone to over your lifetime, the different masks that you have worn. And what did you do? When you put that mask on, man, all of a sudden you became Spider-Man, didn't you? Or you became Zorro or the Lone Ranger or Batman or whatever it might have been. But when we put on a physical mask, we transform immediately into someone that we're really not. How many of you have ever put on a superficial mask and transform into someone that you're really not? You know, a lot of times we put on superficial masks to hide from the outside world, don't we? We try to become somebody that we're really not. Now, one of the greatest actors of my lifetime is, um, or was Robin Williams. You know, Robin Williams had a charm about him. Whether he was in a comedy or in a drama, he could just simply make you laugh. I remember being in, in Times Square several years ago um, on a mission trip. And we were down there and just kind of enjoying the scenery. And we noticed just hundreds of people that were gathered outside of the Bubba Gump restaurant. And they were all looking up at the second floor. And so we gravitated over there because we wanted to see what the commotion was about. And we got over there and we looked up. And there Robin Williams and John Travolta were. And they were looking down at the crowd. And they were making everybody laugh. Robin Williams just had that ability to make you laugh. Robin Williams once said that, that he could make everybody in a room laugh except for himself. I mean, think about that. This man was the king of wearing masks. He could make everybody in the room laugh except for himself. Several years ago, Robin Williams took his own life because of the depression that he was experiencing Masks allow us to hide from everyone around us with the exception of God the Father. Hebrews 4.13, we read, And no creature is hidden from his sight, 
but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. You and I may be able to do a real good job of fooling everyone around us by, by wearing masks. But the one person we cannot fool is God the Father. This morning we are beginning um, Matthew chapter 6 in our Sermon on the Mount um, portion of our Matthew series. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me this morning to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 8 together. Verses 1 through 8. This is what we read. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that you, your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And then in verse 5 we read, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have, not, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Our message point this morning is this. Kingdom citizens live authentically. Kingdom citizens live authentic lives. Our, the closing verse of Matthew chapter 5, verse 48 says this. Jesus said, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Those that desire to live a perfect, holy life are those that live their lives for an audience of one. And that audience of one is God the Father. They do not live for the praise of man like the Pharisees did. Notice point number one this morning is believers must guard against hypocrisy. Verse one again says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your father who is in heaven. Brenning Manning said this, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. A hypocrite is a word that was coined by the Greeks that referenced an actor who wore a mask. So a hypocrite is a mask-wearing person. Today, we refer to a hypocrite as being someone who pretends to be someone that they're really not. Do you know any hypocrites? You know any hypocrites in, in, in your world? Let me ask you this. Have you ever been called a hypocrite? Now, that hits a little bit closer to home, doesn't it? Whenever you ask yourself that question. As Christians, we sometimes are called hypocrites because our lives do not align with what we preach or what we claim 
to believe or what God's word instructs. I'm sure all of us have heard someone say that they are not going to go to your church or that church or they don't go to church because the church is full of a bunch of hypocrites. How many of you have heard somebody say that? You've been told that. I'm not going to church because church is full of a bunch of hypocrites. Well, here's the reality, okay? The church is full of a bunch of hypocrites because we're full of a bunch of, 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 of sinners, okay? But for believers, we've been redeemed and set free. But that doesn't give us an excuse or permission to live a hypocritical life. Throughout Jesus' ministry, some of the strongest words that he spoke were directed at the religious leaders, directed at those that lived a hypocritical lifestyle. Notice this morning that we, we are to guard against showboating. As Christians, we need to guard against showboating. If you like professional sports, then you know what a showboat is. A showboat is somebody that, that whenever, after they score a touchdown per se, man, they're spiking that ball, man, they're doing all kinds of things in that end zone, and they're drawing attention to themselves. That's what a showboat does. A showboat draws attention to themselves. Once again, in verse one, we read, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. This word to be seen, it comes from the Greek word theomai, and it's from that word that we get the word theater. So a showboat, a hypocrite, is someone that, that performs their life up, life up on a stage for other people to see. There are times in our life when we definitely need to be seen by the outside world. You know, you've heard me say this before, but anytime I have an opportunity to insert the greatest Christian rock band ever, Petra, I'm going to do that. They have a line from one of their songs that, is, that goes to be, um, it goes, seen and not heard. Sometimes God's children should be seen and not heard. And that is so true. There are times when, as Christians, our lifestyle needs to do the preaching for us. But there are also times, though, when we need to be visible and we need to preach God's word amongst those that we come in contact with. You know, Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16, as we looked at several weeks ago, Jesus tells us as Christians that we are to be the salt and the light of the world. We are to be the ones that provide good flavor within this world. And we are also to be the ones that take the light of Jesus Christ into dark places. We are to shine for Jesus. Jesus also said right before he ascended to take his rightful place next to the Father, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 28, Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. You and I have been called to preach the gospel. We have been called to make disciples. We are to be seen without a doubt. In Romans chapter 10, verses 14 through 17, Paul wrote these words, how then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing 
hearing through the word of Christ. It is imperative that we do not hide behind our Christianity. It is imperative that we as believers are not only seen, but we are also heard. It is also essential that, that, that we at times retreat away from the public eye. And we practice our righteousness as this passage of scripture is talking about. When we practice righteousness, we are living and, and, and developing God-like characteristics in our lives. We grow in God's grace and his knowledge as we practice righteousness in private. In Matthew 6, 1 through 18, Jesus addresses three different disciplines. And we're going to look at these over the next few weeks. He addresses giving, he addresses um, prayer, and he addresses fasting. Each of these disciplines do have a public component to them, but they are certainly to be practiced in such a way that we do not draw attention to ourselves. You and I need to guard against showboating. We also need to guard against being prideful. The Pharisees wanted the world to see them, and they wanted to make much of themselves when they gave and when they prayed and when they fasted. They were pride-filled people that lived and thrived off of the accolades of other people. They did not live their lives to honor God and advance his glory. They were all about advancing their own glory and not the glory of God the Father. Whose glory do you seek to advance? Whose glory do I seek to advance? May it be the prayer of all of us that we seek to advance the glory of God the Father in all that we do. Notice point number two this morning. It's this. Believers must give without fanfare. In verses 2 through 4 we read, Thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. How many of you ever heard the expression, toot your own horn. You know that expression? I mean, all of us, if we've grown up or if we've ever, you know, watched TV or just read a book, we've heard the expression, toot your own horn. The person that toots their own horn, they're ones that are all about self-promotion. The Pharisees were the kings of tooting their own horns, especially when it came to giving and, and fasting and praying. Jesus warns his disciples against this, and he warns us as well. Not to toot our own horns. Understand this. The problem was not the gift. The problem was the gift giver. We have a responsibility to take care of the poor and the marginalized. As believers, we have a responsibility to take care of the needy. As members of this church, we have a responsibility to meet our budgetary needs. Okay, we all know what our budgetary needs are as a result of, of, of voting on a budget back in December. 
We know what our budgetary needs are. We have a responsibility to meet those needs. We also have a responsibility to reach the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, I long for a day when we here at Friendship Baptist Church, when, when we have such a surplus when it comes to our giving, when our giving is not going towards bricks and mortar, our our giving is not going toward renovating um, kitchens or, or going toward air conditioning units. I long for that day when we have such a surplus, when we can really use those funds to reach the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't you long for the day when we are going to be able to dig water wells in Africa? Don't you long for that day when we're going to be able to give above and beyond our budget so that we can help feed the malnourished in India? Don't you long for that day when you know that we're going to be able to give money that directly goes toward translating God's word into a language amongst a people group that do not have access to God's word? Don't you long for that day when you and I are going to be able to rescue children from sex slavery? Don't you long for that day? You know, we have a responsibility as the church to meet the needs that we have here, but we also have a responsibility to meet the needs of those that are marginalized, that live across our street and around the world. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 25, beginning in 35, he said, For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you? sick or in prison and visit you. And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Truly I say to you, as you did it unto the least of these, you have done it unto me, is what the Lord Jesus Christ spoke. You and I have a responsibility to take care of those that are in need. We are to give with compassion in our hearts. We are to give with compassion in our hearts. Then verse 2, Thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Scripture demands of us that we give generously. Our core values, I read Acts chapter 2 to you a few minutes ago when we were doing our scripture reading. Our core values at Friendship Baptist Church are the Word of God, fellowship, prayer, evangelism, and worship. And it's also generosity. Acts 2.45 says, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. The first church was committed to taking care of the needs of the less fortunate, of the marginalized. That must be our commitment as a church as well. The Old Testament law mandated that the Jews take care of the needs of the marginalized. The marginalized being the widows, being the poor, being the sojourner, being the needy. And that mandate has not changed. Know that. That mandate has not changed 
changed in the 21st century. Had it changed, then Jesus certainly wouldn't have, have in verse 2 of our scripture this morning, he wouldn't have said, when you give to the needy. Had it changed, Jesus would have said, if you give to the needy. He said, when you give to the needy. Giving is not an option. It is an expectation that each of us must have. In this passage of scripture, Jesus is not addressing the amount of the gift. What Jesus is addressing is the attitude of the gift giver. For the Pharisees, it was all about show and tell. It was all about gaining the attention and the fanfare of those that were around you, around them. Do you know of anyone that gives like this? Givers that want their gifts to be announced to the masses? Or do you know givers that give with stipulations? I will give you this, but this is what I expect in return. That's kind of what the Pharisees did. Man, they, were, hey, they would give, but they expected something in return. We all know givers that will pull out their checkbooks and write that big old fat check, but that check comes with stipulations. They want their names to be in lights. They want that building to be named after them, or they want their names to be top billing in the programs. Let me encourage all of us in this area. When we give, let's not give like the Pharisees. Let's not give so that we're tooting our own horn. Don't, as you give, announce it to the world. Don't, don't say, look at me, I'm giving to the poor. Or when the offering plate is passed, man, don't, don't take your offering envelope and slam dunk it in that plate. Okay? Don't draw attention to yourself as you give, as the, the, the Pharisees did, as the hypocrites did. Give generously because God loves a cheerful giver. Second Corinthians 9, 7 says, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Keith Grill wrote this, When you seek to impress people, you are not giving but buying, and you get exactly what you paid for. Notice also, you and I should give without limits. You and I are instructed in this passage of Scripture to give to the needy. There was a special offering depository box, or there would have been several of them, as a person would, would go into the temple or into the synagogue. And one of those would be just the poor box where people would drop those funds to take care of the marginalized. There was no set amount a Jew was to give. They were simply to give above and beyond their required tithe. If you have grown up in the church, especially if you have, have um, you know, been involved in the church for a long time, you have probably heard preacher after preacher after preacher stand up in front of you and say that you have a responsibility as the church to give 10% of your income to the church. You know, that's what a tithe is. It's 10%. The tithe is very, very biblical. The amount to be given is not necessarily biblical. In the Old Testament, a Jew was expected to give three separate 
tithes, which amounted to about 23% of their income. John MacArthur points this out. He said two kinds of giving are taught consistently throughout Scripture. Giving to the government, always required. Giving to God, always voluntary. The issue has been greatly confused, however, by some who misunderstand the nature of the Old Testament tithes. Tithes were not necessary, not primarily gifts to God, but taxes for funding the national budget in Israel. Because Israel was a theocracy, the Levitical priests acted as the civil government. So the Levites' tithe was a precursor to today's income tax, as was a second annual tithe required by God to fund a national festival. Smaller taxes were also imposed on the people by the law. So the total giving required of the Israelites was not 10%, But well over 20%, all that money was used to operate the nation of Israel. Anything beyond the governmental tithe was given out of the overflow of one's heart which kind of helps us understand the giving of the hypocrites in our story. What they're doing is they are proclaiming to anyone and everyone that would listen to them, look at me, look what I'm giving above and beyond what is required of me. That's what hypocrites do. Hypocrites announce, look at me, look at what I'm giving above and beyond what is actually required of me. They were not being generous at all. They were not concerned about taking care of the poor and the marginalized. They were concerned about being praised by their fellow man. Notice what Jesus says of our giving in verse 3 and 4. He says, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. You know, have you ever asked yourself, what does it mean to not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing? You know, as I was preparing and reading commentary after commentary about this particular statement, there are, you know, probably 20 different um, interpretations of what that means. Here's what I think it means. I think that, you know, whenever a Jew would walk into the synagogue or into the temple, as I mentioned, there were, there were several depository boxes. And, and I think what this passage of Scripture is saying is when you walk in, to God's house and you give your tithe, give in such a way that no one recognizes what you were doing. That's what being generous is all about. It's not, it's not gaining the attention of our fellow man. It's all about um, being obedient to God the Father. Folks, you and I have a responsibility as God's children to be generous with everything that God has given us. There is not a single one of us in this room that will take a single penny with us after we die. Everything that we have is God the Father's. And we need to be obedient with that which he has given us. And we need to bless those that that, um, are less fortunate than us. We have a responsibility to take care of our budgetary needs here at the church, of course. But we also have a responsibility to give above and beyond so that we can reach the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's be a generous church. Let's be a church that is all about reaching the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's be a group of men and women that love the marginalized so much that we're going to do whatever it takes to, to help the malnourished in India, 
to help the, the, the people that do not have access to water in Africa, to help the sex slave, to help those that um, have not received God's word in their spoken and written language. Let's be generous with that which God has given us. Our final point this morning is this. Believers must pray without show. Next week, we're going to spend a lot of time talking just about prayer. We're going to look at the Lord's Prayer together. So we're not going to spend much time um, this evening or this morning um, covering this point, but I do want us to hit a couple of things together. So believers must pray without show. In verses 5 through 8 of our focal verses, we read this. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. How many of you have ever been around a, a showy prayer? person that prays and, man, it's kind of all about them as they pray. You know, they, they pray and they offer kind of three points in their, in their um, prayers, and there's a poem usually, and, and sometimes there's a song included, and then at the end there's an invitation that's included in that prayer. You know, I think all of us are familiar with people that pray where their prayer is all about them. That's what the hypocrites were about. Man, they were not having prayer with God the Father. They were having prayer with their fellow man. And it was all about being showy, all about drawing the attention um, amongst those that they came in contact with. If we are not careful, our corporate prayers can become showy and scripted and draw greater attention to ourselves instead of God the Father. Notice this. We are to pray with sincerity. We are to pray with sincerity. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. You know, the greatest prayers prayed are not the prayers we pray in public, but the prayers that we pray in private. Our public prayer should be an outflow of our private prayer life. You know, whenever you and I spend time alone with God the Father, whether it's in our home, some of you have literal prayer closets that you pray in, maybe it's in your vehicle, maybe it's in your office, wherever that spot is that you pray. Pray not seeking the attention of others, but pray and develop your relationship with God the Father so that when we come together as a faith family, Scripture says where two or three are gathered, I'm right there in their midst. Let's pray in such a way knowing that we're calling down heaven when we pray. Also, pray with purpose. Pray with purpose. When you and I pray, we should not ramble on as we go. And we've all heard people that ramble on as they pray. Um, I believe it was, um, it may have been um, Moody that, that said, if you pray for three minutes, I'll pray with you. If you pray for six minutes, I'll pray for you. If you pray for nine minutes, I'll pray against you. When we pray, we do not need to draw attention to ourselves, but 
God the Father. In our reading this week on Wednesday, we read Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 8. Jesus said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. What we see here is that God wants us to boldly approach his throne as one who knows exactly what it is that is needed and believe ahead of time that God is going to answer that prayer. I think oftentimes we approach God like we do a bank lender with the hopes as we go to a bank lender that we're going to get the loan. A lot of times we go to God with the hopes that God is going to answer our prayer. We need to pray knowing and believing that God is going to answer that which we pray as we pray in accordance with God's will. You know, I'll never forget you know, a couple of years ago as we were trying to secure a loan for this building. Um, And I remember calling different banks and meeting with different banks, and I remember over and over being rejected. Some of you remember those good old days where we were trying to secure that funding, and, and just person after person was saying no, 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 and no. But if you recall, we preached through a sermon series, and over and over we, we claimed God's promise that he had given to us that I will do this. And so when we would meet with bank lenders, we didn't know if they were going to tell us yes or no. But what we did know is that God the Father had already given us this loan. And so it was just a matter of, Lord, which bank is it going to be that that says yes? And as you know, eventually that did happen. We need to approach God knowing in advance that he is going to do this. We can't approach him questioning whether or not he is going to do it. If we're living in accordance with God's will, then we're going to know in advance what it is that we need to ask before we ever ask it. And when we ask it, we will know that God is going to answer that prayer in his way. We need to pray with purpose. We need to pray with persistence. We need to be people that, that, that um, are not showy in what we do. We need to be people that, that are all about practicing righteousness. And we don't practice righteousness on the public platform. We practice righteousness in private. You know, we kind of started this message this morning with Shakespeare's famous line, to be or not to be. And I think the greatest question that, that, that to be asked this morning is this, to be real or not to be real? That is the question. When it comes to being generous, when it comes to praying, and as we'll look at in a couple of weeks, when it comes to fasting, we need to be people that are real. We don't need to be flashy and showy people that draw attention to ourselves. We need to be about drawing attention to God the Father in all that we do. Faith family, let me encourage you this morning that um, every single day, you and I have a choice when we walk out the doors of this church to live real, authentic lives or to live fake lives. Let's seek to live authentically in all that we do.
Let's not live our lives as the hypocrites that draw attention to ourselves, but let's live our lives in such a way that we draw attention to God the Father. You know, you may be here this morning, and you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you were to die today, you do not know if you would spend eternity with, with God the Father in heaven, or you would spend eternity separated from him in a place called hell. Heaven is a real place. Hell is a real place. Those that choose not to follow Jesus will spend eternity separated from God in hell. So if you're here this morning, you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to make the greatest decision that you could ever make. Scripture is very, very clear that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe with our heart that God raised him from the dead, Scripture says you will be saved. So to be saved, we must first repent of our sins, acknowledge that we are a sinner, ask Jesus to forgive us of those sins, and then we make a commitment on a daily basis to follow Jesus. If you're here this morning and you have never entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ, I invite you to come in just a moment when we have an invitation. You may be here this morning, you've been visiting this church a while, and the Lord is leading you to come to be a part of this faith family, and we invite you to come and make Friendship Baptist Church your church home. Let's stand together, we're going to pray together, and then then we're going to have a time of invitation. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you, Lord Jesus, just for the opportunity that you have allowed us to just enter into your house for worship. Father, worship through song and worship through the preaching and studying of your word. Father, I pray right now, Lord Jesus, if there's someone here this morning that does not have a relationship with you, I pray this morning, Lord Jesus, that they will make the greatest decision that they could ever make. Father, that is to cry out to you, and seek forgiveness of their sins, and then make a commitment that they're no longer going to live for this world, but they're going to live their lives for you. And they're going to become a Christ follower. So, Lord Jesus, if there is someone here this morning that does not know you, may you draw them unto salvation this morning. Lord Jesus, if there is a family here, or an individual that has been visiting this church for a while, Lord, and you would call them to make Friendship Baptist Church their church home, Lord. We pray, Lord Jesus, now that you will just move in their hearts and in their lives and that they'll make this the place that they are going to get connected, be involved in growth groups and involved in worship, Lord, get plugged into ministry and to go on mission, Lord Jesus. Just move now during this time of invitation. We love you and we thank you. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.